This episode is a part of the Bestie for Life podcast special February series, Types of Love. The ancient Greeks had words that described more specific types of love than just what we typically understand love to be today. They differentiated between passionate sexual love and deep friendship love, love for everyone, love for yourself, long-standing love, and playful love. So for the next four episodes, we will explore different types of love and relationships that we have in today's culture that I feel deserve just as much attention and intention as our romantic relationships do. As Mindy Kaling said, best friend isn't a person, it's a tear. I love this quote, and I think of it often as I reflect on the people in my life and what they mean to me. So this series is to celebrate that love that we have for different people in our lives. Hello, besties. Welcome to the Bestie for Life podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Ann, and I'm so glad you're here. Hello, besties. For today's episode, I get to introduce you to a bestie of mine, and she is Michelle. Michelle and I met through our husbands being friends and have now benefited from their friendship because we are friends. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Michelle is a graduate student graduating this spring with her master's in clinical mental health counseling. She has spent the last year working at the Children's Bereavement Center of South Texas, where she works in both individual and group settings. She loves working with all kids of all ages and has found her calling in grief work. She hopes to continue working with clients working through grief after she graduates and go on to study in a PhD program. She has been married to her bestie for almost 13 years. Together, they have three children and two much-loved pups and a cat. Michelle's spouse, Danny, is an active-duty Air Force physician. They are currently stationed in San Antonio, Texas, but they also have lived in Utah, New York, and are headed soon to England. Michelle's self-care passions include creating wonky pottery, talking to her cut flower garden, listening to guilty pleasure audiobooks, and re-watching the show Gilmore Girls. Michelle is a fierce friend and ally and someone who will go above and beyond for her people. Something I love about Michelle is that she does not gatekeep her learning and knowledge. She is always willing to teach, to share, and to include others. She is thoughtful and she is a powerhouse and she will advocate and use her voice to fight for what she believes is right. As my friend, she is someone who inspires me and we also happen to have a great time when we are together. For this bestie conversation, Michelle is going to share with us what she has been learning about grief. I told her when I first invited her on the podcast to talk about grief that I was doing it as a part of my love series and that my hope for this episode was to acknowledge the relationships and connections that we all have or will have that have ended, at least in the physical sense, that they are no longer with us. I know personally that grief is a complicated experience, and having more information on whether or not we are doing it right can be helpful. But spoiler alert, (laughs) there is no right or wrong way to grieve. There are things that we can know and do, though, that will hopefully make the experience a little easier, or at the very least, understand what is going on for us and for those that we love. Whether you are or have experienced a loss or someone you know is grieving, this episode is for everyone. 
because grief is an extremely human experience that we will all experience personally, and we all know people who have experienced it. My favorite quote about grief was said by Jamie Anderson, and it is, grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love you want to give but cannot. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in that hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. Please enjoy this bestie conversation with my friend, Michelle, where we talk about what grief is, the misconceptions of grief, hint, it's not the five stages we thought it was, and what we can do to support ourselves and others as we all experience grief. Welcome, Michelle. Um, you. A fabulous bestie. Something I really appreciate about you is you are very passionate and you go the extra mile to like learn. And I feel like you stepping into being a counselor and especially a grief counselor is just amazing. It really suits you. And I already like immediately when I wanted to do a podcast episode about grief, I was like, I know exactly who I'm going to talk to because this is your world. <laughs> and so I'm really looking forward to hearing and, and mostly just like learning from you and everything you've learned. So thank you. Well, thank you for asking me. I am not an expert on grief. I've been doing my internship at a grief center. So mm -hmm. had a lot more exposure to yeah. grief than most people have. Yeah. Um, and if you ever asked me that, like, when I wanted to become a counselor, would I work with children? Originally, no, I didn't want to work with kiddos at all. Yeah. I, thought, I thought I wanted to work with couples. Mm -hmm. Um because, you know, me and my husband had done some couples counseling. And so that was my exposure. And so that kind of got me interested and not in a million years, but I thought, yeah, I'm going to do grief counseling with children, but that's just kind of how internships panned out. And here in San Antonio, the children's bereavement center is just like really well known for their training. So I was like, we'll try it out. And lo and behold, I fell in love with grief counseling. So grief is, you know, one of my favorite things to talk about. So anyone who's friends with me, like you, knows I'm I'm your grief nerd. That's honestly, though, like pretty fascinating because I think people do kind of think, I mean, A, I think grief is just hard to talk about in general. Mm -hmm. It makes people uncomfortable. Um, and then to think about it in working with and dealing with children grieving, that's a whole nother bag of like complicated emotions and things that people have around it. So it's needed, obviously. So I'm glad that you're, you felt called to it once you were, yeah, exposed to it. For sure. Especially in the culture that we live in. When you think about, you know, that's something I've been really interested in is learning about grief in other countries and other cultures. Because in some cultures, um, they have really, really beautiful, intense rituals yes. around grief. And they sometimes that's because their communities are you know, communities that as a whole are experiencing mm -hmm. a lot of grief all the time in like really dramatic ways. Um, but yeah, as Americans, we really kind of sterilize death. So I think that ends up kind of sterilizing our grief. Mm. So we don't have great rituals and traditions. And I think a lot of times families and just, you know, community walk away from funerals, not feeling satisfied in their yeah. You know, and so it's mm -hmm. that we're all still here learning how to process and work through grief in a way that our culture just doesn't really know how to do that yet. Yeah, I absolutely agree. 
um i was watching the show limitless with uh chris hemsworth on national geographic (laughs) disney plus Mm -hmm. but he was talking to this man who lost his brother and he and his brother was the chief of their village and he had to step in but they said that before he like took that role there were a hundred days of mourning where he just mourned and grieved and so did his whole community with him and he said it was so powerful for him and he came out of it just so much like it just really it impacted him but he got the time to grieve yes yes well you think about I think it's interesting I don't know how we became this way because you think about I mean I was I'm not an expert on Victorian whatever but I have seen all of the Victorian movies and TV shows and I know that someone else did their research Mm. and when people died that they you know have a year of wearing black that would start out as like wearing all black and then it would slowly morph into darker colors until you know so if you lost your husband it would be really really outside of social norms and looked down upon for you to not spend a year yeah and now a lot of time the attitude is like well it's been six months like when's she gonna get over it yeah yeah I even think of like this is a comical example but in new girl when Nick's dad dies he wears this like orange tracksuit and he just keeps saying like I get to do whatever I want dead dad pass like and he does weird things and people are like throughout like him but like it is kind of that signal of like this there's something else going on behind the surface like Mm -hmm. and even if it didn't happen yesterday it's still affecting me in that and so that's so interesting I didn't know that about the Victorians yeah there's another podcast um that Anderson Cooper launched not very long ago all about Stephen Colbert I am obsessed with it. Yes. One of his first episodes was his interview with Stephen Colbert. And I love it. I feel like they're setting such a good like pathway for people to understand how we process grief that like, you know, I won't get into all the details, but everyone should listen to it. But one of the things that really struck me in that conversation was Anderson Cooper was talking about how his whole life, um, his dad had died when he was young And then his older brother committed suicide and his whole life, he felt like he didn't know how to communicate with other people because he had this deep grief. But then as a journalist, he traveled to all these third world countries that had seen war and genocide and just so much trauma. And there he was able to connect with people because they also knew how to speak the language of grief. Wow. And I thought, yeah, like it really is its own language when you can connect with someone and go yep like different stories but like same emotions yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well I have a question because we were talking last year and you kind of informed me because I had no idea that the grief like what we know about grief and what we understand about it is changing because we're learning more mm-hmm. um and so like I always understood grief as the five stages especially I think partly we don't culturally a lot of the time on like tv shows and movies they talk about the stages of grief and in those they're referring to Elizabeth Kubler Ross and she wrote the stages of grief grief on her book um on death and dying Mm -hmm. and the stages of grief are denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance and so people talk about those and it feels almost relatable 
Yeah. To us. Like, that we're like, oh, yeah, that sits with us. But what people don't realize is when she wrote that book, that book and that research was done to deconstruct terminally ill patients' grief about their own dying. Mm. So that linear pathway makes sense in that situation because there's a start point, diagnosis, finding out that you're terminally ill, and there's an ending point when you actually die. So that linear path makes sense for those patients, but it doesn't make sense when you apply it to the people that are grieving and are going to continue living with that loss. Mm. Yeah. That was a, like, you blew my mind and it like, it made sense. It made complete sense when I heard you say that the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, where I work at the Children's Bereavement Center, which I'll just like caveat, I work there as an intern. I'm a grad student right now. I'm in my um, final semester. I graduate in May. Um, Yay. Work towards licensure, but I'll have my master's degree in mental health counseling. Um, so I work as an intern there. I will have spent just over a year there doing three full semesters there because I fell in love with it. And so what I've learned about grief is coming from that super specific perspective in that mm-hmm. scope. Because there's a lot of people that have done a lot of research about grief. Um, but the time I've spent, we really focus on what are called warden's tasks of mourning. And warden uses a cyclical cycle which just makes so much more sense mm-hmm. grief so he has four tasks and if you imagine them in a circle um you know it's just like i feel like the cycle of life like there's a reason we call it the cycle of life there's the cycle of seasons there's the cycle of everything and so you cycle through these you don't always cycle through them it's not one two three four because you're mm-hmm. experience them in one, two, three, four, but that's just what the research showed. So yeah, like the tasks in that cyclical nature are much easier to apply as people are moving through grief. Fascinating. So are they still the same kind of categories or are they different tasks? Like would it, would the tasks still be bargaining to depression, well, anger, or are they totally different? They're, they're totally different. You're still going to experience a lot of those things or maybe not that's the other thing I've really learned is that there is no right way to grieve Mm. and people often think like they get frustrated with themselves of why can't I move past this one emotion or that emotion why am I not over it it's been two years it's been six years but there's just there's really not a right way yeah um while you might experience anger or denial or bargaining you're not just processing those. You're going to process those inside of the steps. So I will list them. And then if you want to talk about them more in depth, we can do that. But so task one is to accept the reality of the loss. The first step is just the mental acceptance, the physical acceptance that, you know, that those feelings of, you know, shock, it can take people a while to like not wake up and immediately roll over in bed and expect to see their husband there that can take time to just process the reality that your person is gone. Mm. And then the second task is to process the pain of grief, which sounds easy, but that is a big step. You know, that's, I was going to say that that's the there's way more to it. <laughs> yeah. Process the pain of grief. Task three is to adjust to a world without the deceased, which I think mm. is interesting. We can talk about that accepting the reality they're gone 
and adjusting mm-hmm. to a world where they're not there. Those are different steps. And they kind of sound similar that I would think they're the same. Interesting. Right. But they're totally different steps. And then task four is finding an enduring connection with the deceased in the midst of embarking on a new life. Wow. So they're all very connected. There's nuance to it, but it's amazing how much breaking those things down, I think, gives people a roadmap of how to move through grief. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what we're all wanting. And not to say that, like, you're going to give anyone the the answer that they, mm-hmm. like, you know, that fixes everything. But having more information, having more resources, I think, can just be really helpful to at least know that you're not alone in how you're feeling or what you're experiencing and um, that there are some things that you could probably do to help yourself when you're kind of in the thick of it. So for sure. sure. The main things I hear both, like I see individual clients that range from five to 18. Mm -hmm. I see, I see a few adults individually, but I also do this semester. I have three, groups that are all entirely adults. I think the number one thing mm-hmm. I hear from adults is that they feel stuck. Mm-hmm. Means they feel stuck in anger, like they don't know how to stop being angry, or they don't know how to stop being depressed, or they don't know how to move on. That, that feeling of stuck is exactly what you're saying, is that we literally don't know how, most of us at least, don't know how to process yeah. the big feelings and life changes that death brings. Yeah. And you'd think we like would because it is so human of us. Like there's no escaping grief or any of these big emotions. We're all going to experience them, but we've totally shut down and like aren't connecting. At least I feel like in the U.S. and in, in this, that kind of culture. So we've kind of touched on what grief is and different ways of symbolizing and experiencing grief and now we're going to go a little bit deeper and we're going to dive into warden's four tasks of mourning that michelle kind of outlined for us the rest of the episode we're going to especially focus on what each of those tasks involve for the person that is experiencing grieving and then we also will talk about how you can support the people that you know are grieving and and what ways you can show up for them. Warden's task this morning. Task one is to accept the reality of the loss. Um, Sometimes that can take years. Sometimes it can take weeks. Um, But that tends to be, I feel like, almost what the funeral helps us process is just Mm. step one, is that experience to see the body or have the ashes or to you know go through all the pictures to write a eulogy those are all things that help us really process the fact that they're gone that doesn't... An, an acknowledgement of they existed and you know now they are going to exist in a very different way and it's not going to be physical so yeah yes exactly so that's kind of step one and that can linger you know just because you can have processed it and you can physically you can understand it that doesn't mean it won't ever creep up on you again and you can't you know like there's people especially in relationships that you know you think about people who were married and slept in the same bed for 50 60 years obviously they're still going to wake up sometimes and that yeah hit them all over again so it's not that that ever stops being painful 
but that is one of the steps that you can more logically have a ritual that you maybe process better because really that's what the funeral is helping you process. I I do appreciate though, kind of the point that like the, what you maybe do after, or yeah, like that you kind of said, like you can put a ritual there that you do, whether it's something you do totally by yourself or, um, you know, with people like a funeral or a wake or something that can at least like start the process a little bit. Right. And I think it's interesting when you, you know, go back to talking about our culture is that the funeral and all of these things that we have in our mind is the whole cycle of grief, right? Something mm-hmm. happens. You go through the shock of it. You plan the funeral. You go through the motions of the funeral. The headstone gets put in place. And now we're done grieving. Mm-hmm. Word and saying, that's just task one, girlfriend. Yeah. Like we just started. So no wonder all of us are struggling with it because we thought we were doing it right. Turns out not so much. Often um, I feel like a common sentiment is that grief doesn't even start until after everybody leaves. Mm. That I have so many parents and spouses and all of the things in my adult group that talk about, you know, they literally were in such a state of shock during all of that that while community might have processed that there's some of them that don't that literally have no memories yeah how the flowers got there they don't know who picked the flowers yeah them that picked the flowers but because they were in such this heightened stressed state you just kind of zone out and like go through the motions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so while it might have helped you process that they really are gone it didn't even scratch the surface of processing your grief Mm. why step two Task two, not step two. Task two is to process the pain of grief. And say more because yeah, this, like <laughs> I, I think is kind of the meat and potatoes of grief work. So giving them the opportunity to like look at a whole spectrum of what feelings are and not just naming them. But then we also have a lot of things that are like naming how it feels in your body. Mm. So for example, one of the things I really love and encourage like anyone out there who's trying to process their feelings is we have a lot of different activities where we'll make a big list of feelings that can move from anger to rage to jealousy to sorrow to heartbreak to isolation and loneliness. Um, and we'll make the big list of words and then we'll have the kids like individually assign colors to those feelings. And when you start processing them, a lot of people feel anger as we, you know, anger, you know, we've all, a bunch of us, I guess, have seen Inside Out. Mm-hmm. Really red, but I see anger so much from people as black mm. or gray or brown or ugly, right? And we see sadness. We all think blue, but there's so many reasons that some people pick, well, pink to me is sadness because that was my mom's favorite color. And mm. now pink, that's excruciating for me. So even just letting kids understand, like, here are all of these feelings. Here's the names for them. And now let's talk about how those feel inside your body. Because fear to one person might be heart racing. To fear another person might be total silence. It might yeah. be buddy palms that all of our emotions, even though we have shared language, we don't have shared experience. Mm-hmm. And what your emotions are and how you experience those emotions goes a long way in helping us process 
what that grief is because how can you process when you don't know what you're actually feeling? Yeah, yeah. Naming and acknowledging those feelings, figuring out what is actually going on in your mind, in your heart, and in your body. Yeah. Yeah, because if you're only saying, oh, well, I feel grief, I'm experiencing grief, you know, that is... It's too vague. It's like, you know, if you ask someone what you ate for lunch, you could say, well, I ate a sandwich. But there's a lot that goes into yeah. different kinds of things. What kind? <laughs> that is a ridiculous thing. But that's what I'm saying. It's like sometimes we generalize and we simplify grief so much that we actually don't know what elements are making up that. Mm. And then you might feel isolated as someone who's experiencing something different than what the like status quo is. For sure. For sure. I feel like that's also a huge like blinking sign I need to put above this whole episode mm-hmm. is that grief is there's no right way to grieve because grief is so inherently personal mm-hmm. that I you know, I think about this one group that I run and you never know who's going to come into the center, right? We accept like all, all families, we do immediate loss. And then even we split up the different days based on what kind of loss, Mm. a specific grief is you would think, Oh, grief, everyone. No, like one group is a sudden death of some, how you lost people suddenly, whether that was a heart attack or a car crash. There's a group that is just people who have lost people through suicide. Mm. One that's a group for violence, right? So there's some that's a group for sibling loss because, you know, so we break it down so that you have more experience talking to people who have similarly lived. Mm-hmm. But even inside of that, I, I run one right now that's a long-term mm-hmm. loss. So it's like, um, you know, cancer or something debilitating that you watched your person go through. Go- for a long time before they died and it happens to be all women Mm. who all lost their significant other wow so you think hey here's women who can really grieve the same way it's the same kind of loss it's the same kind of relationship they are all women like they have all this in common and it is stunning to me every time how even with that much in common their grief is so unbelievably different and unbelievably unique Wow. That is fascinating. So yeah, task two, processing the pain of grief is we're learning about our emotions. We're learning how they feel to us. And then when we learn what that feeling does to our bodies, we're then learning coping skills Mm. of how to move through that emotion. Not, you know, that we, when we know it's going to be deeply painful, we can choose to suppress it. We can choose to rationalize it we can choose to act out on it we can choose to move through it and that's when it comes to like maybe the line of when do I need to seek counseling and when don't I because mm-hmm. it's very normal everyone's going to experience it at some point um and it's basically the difference between do I have adaptive grief meaning I recognize I'm grieving I'm processing it I'm coping with it it's been an extended period of time and I'm still able to like function in my day-to-day life. I'm still able to function as a parent or I'm functioning at work or I'm functioning at school. So even while I'm still experiencing deep grief, it's adaptive grief. Mm-hmm. Is, am I experiencing maladaptive grief? Mm-hmm. Have I, you know, my person died six months a year ago and I'm still having a lot of difficulty 
to meet my basic needs of income or money or personal hygiene or I can't function at all as a parent or my kids are experiencing intense maladaptive grief then that's a time that it's like yes seek counseling seek support a doctor and medication to help with the depression or anxiety there's a lot of support that can be had um so I always just want to put that out there well but that doesn't mean that even if you have adaptive grief you wouldn't benefit from counseling yeah or benefit from group you know I think what I've learned in this like processing step is processing with people, even though no one can perfectly experience what you've experienced. It is so relaxing, which you would never think, oh, I'm going to go to like grief group and relax. But you can't believe how much these people are just like, have sometimes a very dark sense of humor and they want to make a lot of jokes about death or they want to be able to say like, oh, I'm kind of relieved. I don't have to pick up my husband's dirty socks and dirty towels anymore. You know, that they can say the things that other people won't understand or won't accept or won't let them say yeah because we experience this deep discomfort with grief oftentimes people who are going through grief they're not allowed to actually talk about what it is to grieve Mm. because they are going to say things that are outside of our norms yeah that we've deemed acceptable for them to say or do or right yeah most common thing I don't want to speak ill of the dead well guess what sometimes people really really do and really need to Mm -hmm. speak ill of someone who's died yeah so then counseling group that is a safe place for them to express that for sure yes yeah Yeah. three task three is to adjust to a world without the deceased that means that that's when you start recognizing roles that were filled by your person Mm. And now how you're going to have to adjust and not fill or replace. You're not replacing the person. But if, if your partner used to pick your kids up from school, we have to figure out how are we going to now get our kids home from school? Mm-hmm. So while mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be like, oh, I've got to just, you know, get remarried. Let's replace him. No, it's this is the step where you're thinking, hey, he used to do X, Y, Z. How are we going to fill in that space? You're, you're adjusting to a whole new world without that it's I feel like that's probably where a lot of like change happens whether you want it to or not where it's like from your example it's either okay I'm taking off I'm changing my schedule at work or I'm asking people in my community to help me um or you know the kids learn how to walk home or something you know depending on their age but Mm -hmm. um and yeah just change is hard well and I think that's also a really bad point because like you're saying, or the kids learn how to walk home from school. But that is one of the really essential parts of adults needing to learn how to process grief. Because sometimes the grief is so big and so heavy. And if it has gone, gotten so maladaptive, like you can't get your kids from school and you don't have the capacity to even remember what time to pick them up. I have seen many times kids who are learning to fill in that gap themselves in ways mm-hmm. aren't always safe and aren't always healthy. And even though that doesn't make you a terrible person, grief is heavy, yeah, hard, we still have to like make sure that we have the safety rails up and be asking for the help that we need when we need it so that we're safe and that our people around us are safe. Yeah, I completely agree. Absolutely. Um, because yeah, like it'll, 
it'll seep it's going to seep into everything it's going to affect you know everyone differently and because and because of some of the changes that we're having to make that will continue to affect people in different ways so Mm -hmm. yeah and change change is hard we don't want to have to change and death is the like ultimate things can no longer be the same yeah yeah for sure very painful um, so then we have task four, finding an enduring connection with the deceased in the midst of embarking on a new life. And this is, again, where ritual can play a really big part for people. Mm-hmm. But finding an enduring connection can mean so many things. I've had clients who they all paint rocks and they make a memory rock garden. Ooh. Clients that, you know, I'm in San Antonio where uh, Dia de los Muertos is. Yes a huge huge tradition so even though I don't have any of that like heritage in my blood we have a beautiful ofrenda at my house because we have celebrated it here with my kids at like school projects and such a gorgeous ritual that even though that wasn't something I grew up with um, when I lost my grandmother in 2020 who was an absolute icon of a woman i can say a powerhouse yeah a powerhouse woman but she was just deeply connected to my own identity mm-hmm. her was such a blow mm-hmm. not only was my grandmother but there were so many things in my life that i talked to her about that i now you know had to do that whole adjust to a world without the deceased mm-hmm. so i adjusted to it to it I found new people that I was going to talk to about you know a lot of like political things or educational things that her and I had in common but when I found a way to connect with her while moving into this new life like that's where healing really starts to happen is Mm -hmm. the find ways and part of having her picture on the ofrenda and some of the things that like represent her life and our connection also allowed me the opportunity to talk about her it like Mm -hmm. gave me that when people see that they're like oh what's this i'll be like this is my friend I'm like these are my people here are things that they loved or when my kids see it it gives me like a door to walk through to experience those feelings of love and attachment that i had mm-hmm. to her in a way that sometimes makes me cry and it's painful yeah i miss her and sometimes it makes me laugh you know so it's those enduring connections are ways for us to welcome that person to stay with us and to stay in our lives yeah. So moving forward because we are still living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because our life is going to go on. And I-, I do think that tradition is beautiful because it gives them still like a place in our life. Mm-hmm. And um, they still get to take up space in a different way, but still very meaningful. To- right. So I think, I mean, so that can look a million ways. It can look like Dia de los Muertos. There's one of my families and they all really love Disney. So they would like go to Disney every couple of years. There's a lot of people's ashes at Disney. I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) There's like, if you're in a public space, there's somebody, there's just so many ways. So it's finding. I got a tattoo. Like, yeah. Right. There's, there's a million ways to express it as, as many unique ways there are to have a relationship. There's unique ways to express that connection. So it's just looking at, What's a way that feels like it opens a door to allow that person to stay with you? Because yeah. sometimes that's the hardest thing is getting over the taboo. So at the center, when we have group, I think this is really beautiful. We always start with what we call an opening circle. 
where you share your name and then you say the name of the person you lost. Mm. And it just makes me like want to, I get emotional just thinking about how many people from all kinds of ages I have seen that just land with them just to say their person's name, Mm -hmm. how much they will comment on. I love this circle because I never get to say Mark or Gabrielle or Rebecca or Kelly or I don't even get to say their name anymore because Mm -hmm. no one wants to ask me about them because they're afraid I'm going to make them sad. Uh, Yeah. There's so much. I mean, I love that. That is beautiful. And our names mean so much to us and Mm -hmm. yeah, they kind of disappear when, when they're gone Mm -hmm. and you don't get the opportunity to say them. That is really beautiful. I love that. Brilliant. So one of the takeaways you asked me about was how do we support people who are grieving? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a link all about don't ask your grieving person to support you. Mm. And it's rings of what comes in and what comes out. So it's going to show you all of these circles. Like you think about dropping a rock in a pond and how it makes the ripples. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what we're looking at. And you identify in the very center of that circle is the person in crisis. And then you move out to then people who are close to that person in crisis and then close friends and family and then work colleagues and neighbors and then just onlookers, right? It gets farther and farther away. Yeah. So the rings determine what you should be doing. Mm. You are in the inside circle. You get to do whatever the hell you want. (laughs) You get to complain you get to cry you get to keep it inside you are only worried about you yeah and if you're in that circle and it's you and your children obviously you're going to be you and your children Mm -hmm. but you don't need to worry about your mom or how your sister feels about you losing your husband or how your neighbor feels about you losing your husband or how your husband's best friend feels about losing your husband yeah things are yours to hold for anybody And they have other people that can support them. Exactly. So if you think I'm in the middle with my kiddos. So the person's closest to me would be my parents, his parents, and their grief is real and legitimate. But what they should be putting towards me is support and their heaviness towards the outer circles. So they're, Mm -hmm. they're people that are outside of the rings of their grief. Yeah. So we're supporting in the right direction and we're putting out in the right direction yeah to make yeah. sure you're not asking our grieving people to support us mm-hmm. that's a fabulous reminder right yeah. and a great visual too right so with that i would then pair okay so i know i'm not going to put my heavy feelings on them so we put our heavy feelings we aim them in the right direction So how do we aim support at the person that's grieving? I think a lot of the classic things of knowing that day-to-day functioning over a long term. Mm -hmm. So if you need to put it in your phone to remind you, because we all have a lot going on, that you're just calling and checking on that person once a month, or you're scheduling a lunch with that person once a month, or you're taking them dinner once a month, that they know they're not forgotten and that you don't have an expectation that they've moved on six months later. Yeah. Yeah, that consistency and kind of just like, I'm going to open the door and just check in. And Mm -hmm. like, this is kind of 
you know, an obvious opportunity for them to lean on me if they need Mm -hmm. it in that Mm -hmm. moment, Mm -hmm. Um, which hopefully then makes you safer for in between those times when you're making the, taking the initiative that they can then also reach out and say, Oh, I'm needing, you know, exactly. If you are consistently showing up for them when they need you, they know that they can call you. Yeah. You're not the person they're going to talk to about their anger but they know that you're a person they can call if they need someone to pick their kids up on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. that, that's the whole thing of if we're saying grief is the fear that we don't have connection and community, the way we show up for people is reinforcing you are not alone in this. Yeah. We are mm. going to pick up the pieces. We are going to fill the holes. That and is beautiful. Anyone can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Find the thing that you can do for them or with them and yeah, like really reinforcing the connection that they do have with you. Mm-hmm. Um, my last takeaway is for those not right next to the situation, but I think a really common thing that happens in grief and in life is you meet someone or a work colleague or something comes up and you say, Oh, does your mom drive you crazy? And they say, Oh, my mom actually died. And we all go, I stepped in it. I feel so awkward. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And they're like, oh, it's fine. And we don't know how to move through that. And it makes that person then feel really isolated because they're Mm. part of the out crowd. Well, we're Mm -hmm. on Mother's Day. They're on the out crowd. We're on the in crowd. And they are super isolated. That I just want to give people everywhere the permission that when this awkward moment happens, you say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I would love to hear about your mom if you want to tell me about her. Mm. Love to hear about your son. I would love for you to tell me about your sister. And maybe they're not in a place that they actually want to share anything. But maybe they're like, yeah, my mom did die. And guess what? She did used to drive me crazy because she used to call me every Sunday and want to know blah, 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 blah. Right? Mm -hmm. But just because the person is died doesn't mean the person's gone yeah helping pull those people on the fringes back into the in circle of let them say their name yeah the whole thing in opening circle these people want to say their person's name and want to carry their person and share their story yeah instead of feeling awkward and pulling away step in yeah lean in and yeah offer that connection once again but in a more appropriate way of acquaintance even stranger right and then and you can accept whatever it is they might just say oh no that's okay and we move yeah. on yeah. but you didn't leave them feeling isolated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like hmm, maybe it is okay to talk about my mom yeah yeah oh I love that I love that I think it's a very important thing when we're talking about grief if you're experiencing really complicated grief mm-hmm. that's okay too the, yeah the, the there's no right way to grieve that applies to everybody yeah yeah and you don't need to feel guilty if there's some relief Mm -hmm. in their passing yes whether whether you're relieved because they were in pain and you're Mm -hmm. not in pain yeah or you're relieved because they were someone that was really unhealthy for you yeah and caused a lot of pain themselves yeah yeah that's okay to feel that too i'm glad you said that for sure um this episode is definitely in the context of like kind of love um but we could do we I mean you really can just have like a podcast dedicated to 
only grief where you right. only talk about grief and because it's so nuanced and mm-hmm. different for everybody and um, every situation. What do you wish more people knew? Is that when people are grieving, you don't need to ask them how they're doing. Mm. I think we know how they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's... other ways to, to express concern of, hey, we've been thinking about you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a caring thing to say, but saying, how are you guys doing? That's a really complicated question. Honestly, we could just sure. get rid of it altogether. <laughs> for years. For years. Yeah. Right? Like, for years, that's a complicated question. There's people that, there are people that are actively coming to the bereavement center who their loss was six years ago. Mm-hmm. So, because part of the cyclical nature we were talking about is, especially when we're dealing with kiddos, is different developmental milestones are going to pop up grief. So even if you lost your mom when you were four or five, Mm -hmm. when you hit puberty, that gets more complicated. When you get married, when you graduate from high school, when you go to college. Yeah. When and if you have children, when these milestones pop up, even if you lost your mom when you were four, if you're 25 and you're about to be a mom for the first time, how you feel about your grief about your mom, that's different. It, yeah, it's going to come in. And so that's what we're saying. It's not linear, it's cyclical. You're going yeah. to keep experiencing that grief your whole life. So we want people to give people openings to talk about their people. Yeah. Don't want to do is you're so strong. How could you do this? Those Because really that just shuts them down. It's just shutting them down. It's saying you're strong, which means they can't say they feel broken. Yeah. You're strong means they can't say I feel so weak. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really communicating. I'm not a safe person for you to talk about anything with or be or, vulnerable with. And you say to a person, oh, I can't even imagine I could never go through that. Well, then you didn't move a choice. And guess what? It's likely you will go through it. Right. Right. Very annoying for them and very condescending because we're acting like they had any other choice. So I think that's, I think that's a good thing for people to realize is that grief isn't a choice and when people are being strong it's because they don't have the agency to choose something else yeah what I'm also starting to understand is like time does not like heal all wounds so like just because it's been a long time or a little time like people are going to show up in their grief whenever and however it happens you know saying that so we talk about grief in waves Mm -hmm. know that it comes in waves that like one minute they'll be at the grocery store and they're fine and the next minute they saw spaghetti and they're gonna lose it because they love spaghetti dinners with their person or whatever and I think about it when you think about an ocean and in waves we think those waves they are not going to stop but the landscape changes mm-hmm. right when you have waves coming in and out how a beach looks on year one and how a beach looks on year five and year 10 and year 15 is going to look different. So while the waves and the grief are consistent, how those waves affect you, that will change. Mm. If you're sitting in grief and you feel like, I am always going to feel like this. I am never going to be okay. I will never move past this. Yes and no. Mm -hmm. You will feel that loss for the rest of your life. We cannot replace people. Yeah. People are irreplaceable. 
but we change our strength changes, our tolerance changes, our emotional strength or weaknesses changes. So sometimes those waves are taken down the whole sandcastle. And sometimes they're just a gentle reminder that we deeply love somebody. Thank you besties for listening to this week's episode. Leave a review if you would like, send some stars my way. It is much appreciated. If you are wanting more Bestie for Life podcast in your life, you can follow me on Instagram at Bestie for Life podcast. This is where I'm connecting with listeners and hearing from you. Later besties.